Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 260. I was right not to have doubted. This week we're discussing episode 3 of The Fades, and season 5, episode 18 of Angel, Origin. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. The Angelics. Or, I'm sorry, The Fades. <laughs> uh, the, the, so, yeah, it was all exciting. I, I, I did want to start with The Angelics. Because um, I think we finally get, at, in episode three, our first reference to The Angelics in dialogue right sure yeah i don't think i i think last episode we got it in mac uh right his like you know previously on the fades right um but i don't think they still even mentioned it did they or if they did it was like very quickly Mm. i don't i didn't catch it i don't remember if um yeah anyway so i'm pretty sure Unless there's a script out there to prove me wrong, <laughs> uh, that this is our first uh, actual dialogue reference to the angelics, um, and it's Helen, right, who says, "I think mm-hmm. in the first, the first time that we, but it's used several times. Like she's the one who's like, you got to call the other angelics." And right. yeah. Anyway, all yes. right, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So yeah, I wanted to start <laughs> with the angelics because. Um, yeah, there's some interesting stuff that happens and, and we kind of get a broadening and and even like um <clears throat> from from Neil actually a little more just like about the group itself. So mm-hmm. um I kinda wanted to go through and I don't huh? Like it's hard because like Paul kind of weaves in and out of like Yeah. You know, part part of his like I'm gonna lead two lives means the story gets broken up between different things. So Right, and he's sort of zigzagging between the the kind of high school drama side of things and the supernatural side right. of things. Um But I do want to start with Paul, because like we get I don't necessarily want to start with what he's doing at the beginning, but the result sure. of what he's doing gives us an interesting uh right point of fact in that apparently angelics or at least some angelics actually have wings mm-hmm. um which i was not expecting and and <laughs> like i mean you kind of it you you came close to it like in an earlier episode when you were kind of i think maybe the last one where they used the, the name angelics but we didn't ever really get an explanation of that in the episode. You kind of, what well, I remember you wondering, okay, what does that, that seems like a conspicuous word. What does that mean? Uh, what right. sort of angelic attributes might these people have to use that name? So it, you know, then it's kind of funny that in the next episode, like we literally get a pair of angels wings. Yeah. Well, and I mean, of course you're not expecting it in the middle of a, you know, masturbation right. scene <laughs> right like in in a particularly like carnal dirty context <laughs> yeah. yeah like not something you think of as like your the you know the highest 
possible expression of your spiritual side. Like, <laughs> yeah, the kind of irony and juxtaposition of that is pretty funny. Um, so yeah, totally was not expecting that, but that's, I mean, we don't really have any other data points, I guess, to like know, cause like we know that Paul's special. So, um, so I was actually, I'm, I'm working my way through, um, the exploring the Lord of the Rings from from Mythgard there, uh, mm -hmm. and it's kind of funny because um, just today I was listening to um, an episode where where Corey's talking about uh, like not not being able to use like like he was talking specifically about like Rangers and the Dunedine and like saying like we actually only have like a couple examples so we can't like make sweeping declarations about like ranger culture or like mm. you know that kind of, and and but not only that but like and i think this is true of many of the characters in lord of the rings as well like the the characters that we see not only do we only get like maybe a, a handful of examples but like with hobbit culture i mean we get a few more hobbit examples than we do rangers but like the ones that we get to know the best are like the exceptions, right? So right. like you right. can't you can't take what you know about the exceptional people in a culture and just sort of make sweeping generalizations. So, mm. you know, we know that Paul is exceptional. Like we get it I I mean, we've already gotten it several times and we get it several more times in this episode that he's special. He's something different. He can do things that even like Helen who was obviously very powerful, but like still she wasn't able to do. Um, so, and, and it seems clear, like even within the group of the angelics that not everyone has the same type of healing capabilities that Helen mm. and Paul, Helen did. And Paul does have, um, mm. otherwise like, one of the other angelics would have been like, okay, I got this. You know what I mean? But right, they all right. kind of, step back and and don't do anything and it's paul who ends up healing i know i'm i'm kind of going all over the place here but you know no yeah it, no i think it's paul who steps up and heals neil yeah um yeah and none of the other angelics offer to now whether i again like just because they don't i like we also know that they don't like him so just because they don't offer to heal him doesn't necessarily mean they can't heal him sure but i do get the feeling that like even though they don't like each other necessarily, like there is this sense of we can't continue letting our kind die. So yeah, it, he's he's at least he's an ally and an important ally. So I, I again, we don't know them very well, but you do feel like that would be motivation enough to try to save his life, right. even if they don't like him personally. Right. Exactly. Which all implies to me that that then they can't. So again specific to the wings we can't assume that they all have wings just because paul has wings sure but i mean potentially there are like this is like another thing and like other than uh you know what's the word i'm looking for opening i guess uh you know at a particularly heightened moment um we also don't know, like, are, like are they functional wings? Like, we don't mm. see him fly. 
so yeah like what what exactly do you know does having wings mean right, right. um so yeah that's i don't i mean so that's the opening scene eight minutes eight <laughs> minutes on that um well no the opening and his i think his healing of yeah like, the the continued um i mean we're only three episodes in so and the whole thing is only six episodes long so right you know well it's right not so like, we're halfway it's not done. like we have we're yeah we're coming on the halfway mark here um it's not like we have years and years worth of mythology to sort of work our way through or anything, but even in the season that we get, like the sort of expansion each episode of what exactly Paul's powers and abilities are and, and, and they're kind of, you know, somewhat related to each other. Like he's they're kind of seeming to be amping up in power as he goes like it wasn't like it came on him all at once right um here we are like a certain amount of time later and he's only certain you know still discovering certain things um sure and you know they started out smaller like what he could do to sort of heal the cut on Max's arm was sort of one thing but now we're sort of expanding to the like gaping wounds in Neil's stomach. Yeah. Um and and, and, and his eye, wound... which and his eye was like a magical sort of wound. It wasn't even purely a physical thing. Sure. There was something that even Helen couldn't heal. So you kind of get the it, whether it's an increase of power or just Paul having expanded skill as he learns these things, he's getting more powerful as it goes. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece of it is with his sister and Mm -hmm. the, the, it's like the matrix thing, right? Of like closing the mouth. Although it's not, it's not quite that bad. Cause like, it's still, it's like, she still has like, I don't know what you call that, but like, there's like still places for air to get through, I guess. But there's little air holes, but yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's sort of. Yeah, it doesn't completely fuse shut. It's sort of, it's almost sewn shut, except there's no, like, thread or anything. Um, right, it's skin. But yeah, yeah. pretty pretty gross. Um, and, and actually, I'm just thinking about this now. Two things there, with the wings and the sister Anna's mouth thing, uh, we don't see how those are resolved either which is interesting like is there (laughs) are there other physiological connections to the wings being extracted like (laughs) when paul settles down do his wings like go back in like right um but then they don't come out again later when he's with jay right so it doesn't right. seem to be a purely physiological No, and I think reaction. It, that's again why I feel like I'm connecting it with his other abilities, like the you know, the healing powers and stuff that like it seems like the first appearance of them is involuntary, you know, in a moment of emotion of some kind or you know, or like physiological or whatever, like just him kind of naturally responding to a situation. And then it's like in subsequent things 
he has a certain amount of control over it or or at least if not if he doesn't know enough to fully control it he at least seems to be able to will it to happen um with the healing anyway so then i i wonder if we could say the same is true of the wings like right like you know once he figures out he can kind of but right he can kind of force it to come and go sort of more at will but the first appearance of something is a sort of spontaneous surprise yeah outburst of something um but there's also like because like presumably this isn't the first time he like he's you know masturbated so like sure you know he's a teenage boy like but it's the first time his wings manifest too you know so there's there's that question too, like how much of it is brought on sort of by his other awareness and being, you know, more mm-hmm. uh, brought into this world of the fades and yeah. whatnot, the sort of mystical yeah. side of things. Yeah. Right. Well, and I mean, this isn't a perfect metaphor because he's older, but there's a, like almost a kind of puberty me- metaphor here of like. Sure. You know, think it, it. It's just time for these things to manifest for whatever reason. Like, you know, and, and yeah. So sure. even if he, even if he's sort of not doing anything differently than he's always done, whatever it is that sort of triggered this, you know, he maybe he's always had these powers latent, but there's something has happened to bring them out sort of now, and so now it's just a case of discovering what are all these different things that I have to learn about myself. Um, and then with the, with the mouth thing, I mean, I guess presumably he figured out how to reverse it. Like, I guess so. It is a bit odd that I definitely noticed that, that like we cut straight from her, you know, panicking as she realized what's happening to barricaded in her room and refusing to come out and everything and it's like you do kind of wonder how did we get from here to here yeah so it either I mean he either reversed it or it sort of faded over time like um yeah I'm not quite sure whether we have any real evidence to say one way or the other um so yeah yeah i i mean i'm just kind of going with that as a working theory that like he must have figured out like how to reverse it because like i mm-hmm. i mean i guess the fading over time could work as well but even that you feel like there probably would have been enough time for anna to like run back and have her mom see it Mm. or whatever um maybe not though i don't know because i guess the mom comes home while they're arguing right or at least comes up the stairs while they're i guess we don't Mm. yeah i'm trying to i don't know i i I guess my working theory is he figures out how to reverse it um also the other thing that strikes me is we don't know who Paul's father is, do we? No, we don't. 
So no, we know there there was a divorce. Um, right. Okay. So we know he's he's not dead, or at least as far as we know, he's not dead. Um, so and I don't know if they said how long ago it was, but I was going to say that but was sort of presumably Paul knows who his father is. Yeah, but I guess that's a presumption that I just sort of made. I don't. No, I think it's sort of implied because I think it's sort of implied that the therapy sessions and some of his sort of the suggestion that he might have, I don't know, mental illness or be struggling with nightmares and anxiety or whatever it is that he struggles with sort of dates to around the period of the divorce. Gotcha. Um, So it's recent enough that it's a memory for him. Right. It's not like his dad left before he could remember or before he was Or was like a one night like stand that. or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, that is sort of just hanging around in the background. Um, all right. So enough about Paul for the moment. Because uh, we do get some other stuff with the other Angelics. And I wanted to make sure um, to talk about, like, the Neil and Helen stuff. Um, mm-hmm. which I mean, I don't know that there's a time to say, but like, you know, so with Neil, you're starting off with him, like basically where we left off. I mean, he's made it back to his truck, I guess. And is like stitching himself up and that kind of stuff. Um, and is sort of, you know, keeps trying to get a hold of Paul, but can't. And Helen's kind of doing the annoying Helen's doing the spike thing kind of in a way right the annoying ghost who like just keeps giving advice and like can't actually do anything herself but is just sort of like ordering him around and like telling him what to do sort of trolling Neil yeah not obviously as bad or as annoying as Spike because she's actually trying to be helpful and whatever but um yeah so uh, you know, her advice is, so there's like two pieces to it, right? One is that, um, like she knows she's getting ready to ascend Mm -hmm. and is so like basically telling Neil, like, you need to be prepared. Like Uh you need to have people around you and not just like, not just, uh, Paul, right? Like not just this kid, uh, who's special in some way, but like you need to make nice with the other angelics who presumably he has not made nice with in the past. Mm -hmm. Um, And even um, elsewhere in, in this episode, uh, Neil kind of acknowledges that like Sarah and Helen were like his best friends. Right. And, and I, and he even kind of includes Mark in that, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, just this idea of like, okay, like, like, why were they his best friends? Were they the only ones who like could still tolerate him? Like, you know sure. what I mean? Like, like, I mean, maybe he feels that way. It's interesting to see, like, because Sarah doesn't seem to feel that way. But I mean, she died and had a experience. And now she's kind of going through her post-death, you know, traumatic stress disorder yeah uh you know 
Um, so I don't know if the way that she's acting, like, so the one thing, oh, sorry, I can't get on to Sarah yet. So Neil and Helen, like Helen's giving him the advice. And I mean, her little Adam and Eve story is kind of interesting. I'm not sure how theologically accurate it is. Sure. <laughs> uh, as an actual interpretation. But as far as sure. the story goes, I mean, you know, yeah. depending on how much you take the Adam and Eve story literally to begin with anyway, I guess. But um, the, yeah, the idea that, um, I think the thing, what I was thinking about in relation to what we know of like the fades themselves is this idea of like, not that, not that, um, it's not that like they suddenly changed in, who they were or or that they had knowledge that they didn't have before or whatever like that even might be true but she's saying that that's not what actually was the problem the problem was that um she says eden was still there they were still in eden only its beauty was lost to them their own beauty was lost to them um well i can see the beauty so i'm lucky aren't i can you see the beauty neil and so what i was wondering is 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 that an explanation of what the fades are mm. is this idea of because what the so neil kind of described it to paul that it's sort of random right who gets right. to right. ascend and who doesn't but maybe it's not random maybe maybe there's this element of belief and or doubt in who gets to ascend and who doesn't and it's the ones who do believe are the ones who who do ascend and the ones who don't end up having this doubt. And that's why, you know, in, in Neil's terms, they go shitty is because right. they doubt and they can no longer see the beauty. And that's what kind of makes that like there is sort of becomes a vicious cycle at that point. Right. Like they just yeah. the more they doubt, the less beauty they see and the less beauty they see, the more they kind of doubt that whatever, you know. And over yeah, time, I mean, especially if if you're dead forever <laughs> like that just compounds you know over right, time right it it is a kind of reminder that what we're being told of the mythology is all sort of suspect or or particular you know that it might be true but we only know sort of what we're given by these characters and it seems like helen's theory about doubt and then her kind of final um, what she sees as like vindication when she ascends of I was right not to have doubted. That seems like what she's suggesting is that it's not random. It's sort of a result of her certainty and her kind of faith. But that does directly contradict what Neil said about how it's a random lottery. It has nothing to do with belief or or well, merit or whatever. Um, but also... I mean, her believing and ascending and attributing her ascent to belief doesn't mean that she's right either. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. We don't know which of these, you know, which, like, Sarah seemed to be disappointed when she realized she was fading. And so you could kind of question it. Now, maybe she had doubts and, and, 
that was her problem. But from the outside, at least at first, it seemed to us like she stayed behind, even though she had this belief. Yeah. Um, but then Ellen, Helen kind of experiences what she hopes and expects to, um, you know, experience. And her reaction is, yes, see, I was right. And I don't think we have a way yet to say which of those interpretations is correct. Right. Um, like there's confirmation bias in both of them. If Helen ascends and, you know, uh, expected to, she's able to say, yes, I was right. You know, my, my, my faith is rewarded. Whereas, you know, I think if Sarah doesn't ascend, Helen would probably say, well, that was just proof of your doubt and your weakness. Right. Um, whereas Sarah and Neil might say, it had nothing to do with what I believed or what I deserved. It was, it's a random lottery. And, you know, it, it just, there's no prediction for it. Yeah. So I don't think, I think we could place bets, but I don't feel like at this point we know which of those is the correct interpretation. Yeah. Um, the other thing you, when you were describing Helen's theology there, it reminded me of um, that, part of the last battle in the Narnia Chronicles where oh, uh, where the, the dwarves, dwarves yeah. can't see. And they're, you know, so, I mean, that's a C.S. Lewis idea. I don't know that all theologians would agree with his biblical interpretation there. Um, sure. He kind of tended towards universalism a little bit. Um, it just leaned slightly in that direction of like, you know, hell is, is separation from God. And, and maybe, you know, he kind of wanted to believe that George MacDonald was right about all that, but, um, <laughs> which is, I don't necessarily disagree, but there are people who would say that it's not very biblically consistent. Um, but it, it's a similar idea of hell for them is they're sitting in heaven and can't see it. Um, sure. And, and it's all around them, but they're sort of a prison of their own doubting minds. And, you know, if, if there's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, if, if you believe it, maybe you'll be able to see it. Whereas if you cling to your doubts, then you lose the ability to see. Sure. Or to, to bring in yet another story, um, Hook. Right where uh, they're having having their feast, the greatest like, of all stories. Like once, <laughs> once you know, Peter starts to believe. Right, right. They 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 are able to have this sort of magnificent feast with everything right. that's tasty and good in this world. Um, right. Right. So yeah. So yeah. I I agree with you. Like I don't think we have enough sort of objective evidence one way or the other to to know like certainly like you said the confirmation bias could go either way <laughs> um and i think we we see that it does in some sort which so i guess is an interesting thing because then that becomes i mean i don't i don't know i don't know if well i don't know i guess we'll we'll see 
where that leads. Because I feel like there's there's sort of two struggles in, right? Like, there's the struggle for Neil, who has to sort of keep fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I suppose he doesn't have to, but like, you know, he's kind of the one they leave behind and is sort of tasked with this now overseeing Paul. But then there's also like Paul, like he's oblivious to most of this and like Mm -hmm. not only oblivious, but also is like determined to not step all the way into that world. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of brings up the question of, you know, where is he going to fit into all, all of that Um, real, real quick before we hit our halfway point here for this half of our episode. Um, the other angelics. I don't know that there's a ton to say about them other than what we maybe already said that one they seem not to particularly like Neil. Um mm-hmm. to their maybe a little more I don't know cuz they like or sorry. Uh yeah, no, Neil. I said I said the right name. Um I have to there's so many like characters in this. I have to struggle to keep them straight sometimes uh i mean neil had sarah and helen before they both just recently died so i what i was gonna say was the angelic seem a little more willing to work together but i mean neil had people he worked with too so maybe that's unfair Mm. to say sure you know um that they're different in that way um but like you get like the um you know, the two angelics who sort of scoop up Natalie and, you know, you kind of use Paul, which Mm -hmm. like he's unwitting in that, right? Like there's not, he doesn't seem to have any clue that like they're even there. I don't think so. I wondered that briefly, but I think it, I think it's implied that he didn't know they were waiting. That's, that was my initial impression too. And then I kind of, as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, Wait, what? And then the second time I watched it, I, I kind of said, okay, no, I think he's unaware. Mm-hmm. Like, he, so in that particular moment, he seems more concerned about the fact that Natalie's now seeing him kissing Jay mm-hmm. and, like, is maybe concerned that she might do something to Jay. Right. That's what it seems to be. Yeah. Is why he goes to chase her. But I, right. we don't we don't I, get that explicitly, so I think I it's just think sort of right. like reading into it. Yeah. Um, right, because I think he seems a bit ambivalent about what they're doing. Um, like he doesn't outright stop it or tell them to stop it, but I think he's a little iffy about <laughs> the whole like capturing people thing. Yeah, it's like well, right, cause, and I think he still doesn't really. I mean, she did attack him, well, w- sure. with the other, you know, fade. So, like, I think he does realize that she's trying to harm him in some way. But, like, yeah, maybe he's, like, still sort of, like, thinking of her as, like, a girl and not, like, an evil spirit <laughs> or mm-hmm. whatever she is. Um, yeah. But when faced with dealing with, you know, some angelic's you know, capturing a fade versus going back to my new girlfriend's bedroom. Like, it's not that hard of a decision for a fort or uh, however old he is. Priorities. Yeah. Teenager. 
I can't say that I would have made a different one at his age. Sure. Um, I can't say that I'd make a different one now. <laughs> um, anyway. Yeah. So anyway, just we have these other angelics and they seem to now have like a new sort of base of operations, I guess, um, in this. I, what is it that like, where did Neil and Helen, like they were walking I think through, it's, it's just I like think a it's, building. I think it, is it the same old school where he took Oh, Paul? maybe. I, I, it's hard to tell because I feel like that was at night and then we'd see it in the daytime, but I'm pretty sure it's like that old abandoned. So I guess he kind of uses that as his base. Um, one line I definitely wanted to pull out just because I noticed it. Not because I, I don't remember if it's that significant or not, to be honest, but um, when... Helen's trying to kind of, I guess, convince the Angelics to work with Neil and kind of stick around and work as a team. Um, they say, we have a code. And she says, which they broke first. So I feel like that's the first. Mm. I mean, we know that this is new, the kind of fact that fades can touch and apparently scream and are eating people. That's all like new developments. But even even before that it there was a code between and it sounds like a mutually like a mutual code like there's they some sort of ceasefire yeah, between the two yeah. um which you know again we don't quite know what that means but it means that there's been some sort of at least potential for uh aggression or war between the sides and that it was a mutually beneficial thing to say we won't step over this line. Right. So, um, you know, that's just a different sort of layer than we've had before, I think. Yeah. Yep. No, I'm glad you mentioned that, because, yeah, I, I did catch that, but I forgot to mention that. Um, all right. So um, we'll have to kind of go a little quicker through some of these other characters if we're going to fit them all mm -hmm. in um i guess maybe on that note let's just talk about the other fades then real quick because we i mean we already kind of talked about natalie getting captured i mean she spends most of her part of the episode just kind of creeping on people um mm -hmm. kind of literally just like following around seeing what people are up to reporting back and also like feeding the uber fade so she's kind of got like some dual purpose stuff going on here um you know bringing him fresh limbs to gnaw on or, or maybe they're not so fresh I, we don't really know um yeah so i don't i mean i don't we don't other than um neil's sort of telling paul to not mess with her right like he says like you're not ready yet like don't you know mess with with her uh we don't really get much more about her other than just her kind of being the reconnaissance fade. Mm -hmm. um, Uber fade. Uh, recovering, I guess, from his own wounds or whatever, like his own fight with... I mean, there's sort of a parallel with him and Neil mm -hmm. in a way. Sure, um, yeah. So... His recovery 
takes the form of like eating dead flesh and then like creating like a cocoon. <laughs> um, so what I'm not clear. So I so we get this new guy at the end who is the guy from Paul's visions that he has, um, which we didn't really talk about. But hey, Paul has visions. Um, and he sees this guy in one of them or is it both of them or I can't remember. Um, uh, well, I mean, yeah, I guess it's both, but he gets clearer. Yeah. Like, he doesn't, the, he gets like closer. Like in the see him one. that yeah. well in the first one. Um, but yeah, out of this cocoon that the Uberfade makes comes this guy from Paul's vision. And I guess what I'm not clear on is like, is this a new thing? Like a new creature? Like, did the Uber Fade, like, transform and, like, birth something different? Or is this just, like, a new manifestation of the same mm. Uber Fade? Sure. Yeah. And, I mean, we literally only see him, like, for 30 yeah, seconds at the end. So I'm not, an I'm not looking that. for yeah, yeah. an answer there. I'm just, that's the question that sort of yeah. immediately pops up. Like, okay. Like, it's not that surprising to me that we see the guy from uh, Paul's vision be a fade. Mm -hmm. Like, you're sort of prepared for that a little bit, I think, just by the vision itself. Like, I forget exactly what it is that the guy says, but, like, it's it's kind of ominous, <laughs> right? Like, it's not like... Right. It's something about, like Sarah, the inevitability of whatever... Um... Uh, what is it? Yeah, it, he says this is inevitable. That's yes, right, right. Like the the apocalypse or whatever. Right. I I assume that's what he's referring to. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like it's not terribly surprising that it's a fade. Um. If indeed that's what he is, I'm I'm not even clear if he's a fade because he he's like because there's a physical birth now. So is this mm. like a like he's like reborn, like he's a new person now. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to kind of talk about that. Like we have this mm -hmm. new thing that we have to yeah. deal with. Yeah. Also, do you recognize the actor? Oh, you know what? I don't think I did, but who is it? Uh, he's Gendry in Game of Thrones. The uh, greatest long distance runner that the uh, right good guys have to offer. Right. All right. All right. I did not pick up on that. I mean, we only see him for like a minute, so you know, fair enough. Um. All right. So the I'm calling the next group of characters the allies. <laughs> um. Although they're more or less, that term may or may not apply in all cases. Um, but it sure. kind of encompasses Mac, Mark, and kind of Sarah. Although she's technically a fade, I guess, at this point. Um, mm -hmm. So Mac, I mean, Mac continues to sort of be a great humor relief mm -hmm. uh, thing. I mean, poor guy, it's his birthday and nobody cares about him. Um, no really really sad rendition of happy birthday to me um we get here um 
but yeah, I mean, yeah. all in all, like other than those sorts of moments, I mean, you know, still the friend, still sort of sticking by Paul, um, and also like, uh, you know, just kind of. So he's there when when one of when Paul gets one of his visions, and, and like he's he sort of like has these philosophical musings on, you know, epileptic fits and, you know, like his little comments there. Um, Like, I like the whole, like, Cyrano de Bergerac, uh, you know, scene. um, Which, like, Paul kind of goes off script uh, from. Sure. And, like, Max, like, uh, (laughs) um, yeah, I don't, I mean... I don't I don't know that I have a ton to say about Mac other than, you know, just continuing to be sort of Paul's friend and and um mm-hmm. you know their their little bromance with the key and you know, oh should I break mm-hmm. it in half and you know, does this mean we're in love? Like Does this mean we're in love? <laughs> I like that he concludes that whole little riff with does this mean we're in love? Yeah. Um, um Yeah, no, it's a sweet and, little and, relationship. And then and, also yeah. like, you know, stating the obvious that like you know i'm not going to use this key like because i feel sad and lonely about my family but i'm going to use it to you know steal your sister's underwear or something you know like okay all right mac yep that sounds that sounds about right from you right um yeah uh, um yeah and he kind of keeps paul humble and honest like he doesn't just sort of you know like if Paul is the sort of special superhero friend, you know, and Mac is more the kind of Xander or, you know, the Zeppo of, you know, the one who doesn't necessarily manifest the magic powers and everything. Like he kind of keeps Paul from getting too inflated, you know, of I've always been self-centered. Yes. Like, you know, he doesn't disagree with that. Um, But like also, once his point is made, like, is, of course, very forgiving and quick to let it go and, you know, always sort of loyal and everything. Um, So he kind of, you know, finds a good balance between not just being the doormat best friend who you can completely ignore, but also being, you know, super loyal and, um, you know, trustworthy and everything. Uh, Mark, uh, kind of flipping out a little, <laughs> goes over. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess along with Mac, uh, we realize, uh, that he's the, that his dad is the chief investigator in the, uh, yeah. you know, Sarah's murder and, and the murder right, right. and the death of these two boys and, um, right, all right. all of the Uber fades victims, basically. Right. Um, all of the murders. So, yeah. um, and he's getting, like, uh, he's on the phone, like, getting reamed out by his boss, and then, you know, later gets a good tongue lash in. Like, of, well, I, so, so Mark comes over to his house, and, and, uh, it's basically like, you know, hey, look at this picture I found of this guy and, you know, Sarah, and you need to look into him. And I guess 
this is the first indication that we get that, or or maybe it was in the last episode because he he found the picture last episode, right? Like, did we see him with the picture in the previous episode? Like, this is the first indication, I guess, really that we understand that he and Neil know each other, right? Or I can't I can't remember if we knew that in the last episode, but anyway. I think he found the picture in the last episode, but that was the first time we right. sort of confirmed it. So, um, but and, and that it that seems like he still doesn't really know the nature of, like, even if he was friends with Neil and Helen or thought he was, it doesn't necessarily follow that he understands why they all knew each other and right. what their connection was. Well, and he he thinks that, and I guess we don't know that he's wrong. He, he thinks that Sarah and Neil were sleeping together. It's possible they were. Like, we don't have anything to refute that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Other, I mean, well, no, no, other than nothing, I guess. I don't, I mean, it's certainly possible they were. Um. So he goes mm-hmm. to, but yeah, like, he clearly doesn't know, like, he's not in the know about the fades and the angelics and all of that. Right. Uh, Mark. And so he goes to GCI Armstrong's house and uh, is telling him, like, here's the person you need to investigate. And, you know, he was with my wife in a insane asylum and, mm-hmm. you know, all of this. Um, Mark's not looking too sane himself. Um, the uh, Max dad is basically like, you need to leave me alone or, you know, things aren't going to go well for you. Um, And it's that quote of, you know, desperate men do desperate things, which Mm -hmm. initially he said, he he like gives him a pass, you know, because of it. But then he says the same thing again later uh, when he goes to arrest Mark. So there's like, yeah. How much is that idea of, you know, not forgiveness, but an excuse, I guess, maybe for behavior versus how much is it, uh, you know, a condemnation or a, you know, affirmation of certain mm-hmm. behavior. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's another thing in that, like, um, that I've kind of forgotten that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, cause like, m- Max's dad get that gets that awful lecture about how you know, basically like you're an affirmative action hire and you didn't really earn your job and you better, you know, figure this out or else you you know we're all proven that you never should have got it in the first place. Um, and then immediately he goes to arrest Mark and you're like, okay, this is his. I'm just. I have to be seen to be doing something. Right. So I'm going to do something, whether or not there's any grounds for it. And that's still kind of true. Um, but there, there's also the kind of point, which does look suspicious from the outside when you realize that Mark has connections to all the victims, um, which you kind of, sure. which I kind of forgot at first. But then when you thought about it, you realize like, well, um, yeah, even the students, like these are students that he, had in class and was seen to be sort of yelling at and chasing through the halls and 
um, all this kind of thing. So, and then when you kind of add in his, the sort of erratic way he's behaving and, and, you know, harassing the police and kind of, you know, acting a little bit crazy, um, you kind of realize in hindsight, like, oh yeah, that actually didn't look great. Right. Um, so yeah. So the so the other thing with Mark then is of course when Neil stops by, <laughs> right right after Mark has been like saying, "Oh, you need to like arrest this guy." Oh, hey, here here he is. Um, and of course, you know, he comes to tell Mark that his wife is dead and that her spirit wants to tell him things <laughs> and all of this. Um, I don't. I mean. I don't know how much we need to get into the details of like the whole conversation there. It's all just ways to convince, you know, Mark that what he's saying is real and that, um, you know, the, that Sarah has things to say or wants to answer questions or whatever. Um, I guess the, the main thing I want to say, you know, point out from that um, is the, the piece where um he sort of explains who the angelics are right um mm -hmm. you know he says we were angelics i still am one we're a different breed of people uh we were sworn to secrecy you you know you two were my best friends oh oh that's where he said he, he said you two so he's talking about mark and sarah there mm -hmm. uh and i'm here tonight to try to make it right for you um which i found interesting because like I, like again until like he finds that picture we didn't even know that mark knew neil and now it's like wait they were like best friends at one point which like you don't get the sense that that was the case right um so yeah i don't i mean this whole this like revelation i mean he doesn't say much about who the angelics are Jade, stop. Just stop. Sorry. It's like, Grr. um, so yeah, so he doesn't say much about who the angelics are, but, uh, you know, just even that revelation of, like you don't get the sense that he's told too many people about mm. you know even the fact that they were sort you know part of this like secret group or society or whatever mm -hmm. um and and again that revelation of you know that they were best friends um which again we didn't there was no indication of that before you know, that conversation, so. Yeah. Um, all right, so, the last few minutes here, um, I mean, we kind of already talked a little bit about Jay and uh, Paul together. I mean, uh, there's the running joke of, you know, Paul saying, like, I grow wings when I ejaculate. And then, you know, again, later when they're 
getting physical. Like mm-hmm. he brings it up and again. He's like, like, no, seriously. <laughs> like, yeah. just so you know. And Jay just thinks he's kidding. And I mean, right. it doesn't happen. So, uh, you know, she may still think he's kidding. But uh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's cer- certainly on his mind. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, more of their sort of developing relationship um the the big thing of course is uh anna finds out uh about it which you know they were obviously you know last time in in the club they were hiding and i mean i don't like hard to say because like I don't necessarily like I don't still have a good sense of geography of where they are or anything like Mm. you know they're just standing like by a chain link fence and like kissing and stuff I mean are they someplace where they wouldn't expect Anna to ever go like how hard do they try to hide that I guess is one question I would have um I mean but or or they're maybe just not even thinking about it at that point. Like right. at the party when they know Anna's at the party and around and, you know, they kind of go off to where she's not likely to find them maybe, but you know, here it's like, Oh, well just of ran- of all the random spots in the town, like, is she going to come by here? Like that might not even be a consideration that they're really mm-hmm. thinking of. But anyway, regardless to say Anna finds out, uh, to both their chagrin, um, and then quickly to Anna's chagrin. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't... Anna's obviously very upset about that, but um, it does kind of push... The, like, the fact that it's in the open, like, because I guess there could be two reactions to that, right? At least on Jay's part, I think Paul, we would be pretty convinced that he would be still okay with you know everyone knowing and them still being together but jay could have had you know one of two reactions um or or either of two reactions i guess um which is like oh my gosh this is terrible you know we can't ever see each other again Mm -hmm. or what does happen which is well everyone seems to know about it and you're a loser but that's okay like I like you anyway, and mm-hmm. you know that all seems to work out, I guess, for the better um, for them. But yeah, she's not not embarrassed, but she gets over it, and it doesn't. It, it's not a bad enough break to um, make her end things with Paul. So right. Um, although she doesn't care about films, which Paul finds, it's tough. Uh, yeah, pretty, yeah, pretty terrible. Momentarily terrible, and then he's sort of over it. Um, sure. Well, right. Because when she kisses him, he loses his thought brain. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. The mother seems 
kind of happy that Jay and Paul are together. <laughs> like when when Anna says, "I know, Mom's like good for you." She's like, kid, oh, right? I'm quite impressed. <laughs> um, she's like, I didn't know you had it in you personally. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, so I any any other thoughts there? I mean, it, you know, I'm sure we'll get more of Jay and and all together um sure. oh well i guess i'm not sure well, assuming he survives well, right. this episode so so right the uh, big cliffhanger then of course is that he gets hit by a a lorry uh at the end there and uh um sorry there's nothing worse than american saying lorry is there um uh yeah and gets taken to the hospital and, and not just taking the hospital but like flatline and you know, defibrillator. So, I mean, my prediction would be that he survives somehow, but like also this is a movie or a movie, a series about, you know, people in their life and in their afterlife. So like, I guess it's not wholly sure, you know, just like any, just like any of the other shows that we've talked about, like, you could die and the story could still keep going. Like right. that's Death it's doesn't not, have to be the end. It, yeah. it it would be surprising to me though if he didn't come back to life. Sure. In some form. Just because he's kind of the central character and given how important it is. But again, we noted that we're like this is like the halfway point, right? So it's the big, you know cliffhanger like what are what how do how do things turn around mm -hmm. so yeah yeah and and it's one of those like yeah i thought it was a really well done sort of shock at the end of the episode where it's it's like where you see it coming like a half second before it happens one of those kind of things where it's like you don't have a sense of looming dread necessarily you're kind of enjoying them goofing around or whatever but it's like just as he's backing into the street there's right. that that little warning bell goes off in your head like what just as it sort of happens but so he, it's a even, pretty effective scene for me at least i mean the first time i watched it for me like you're not necessarily sure that he's going to get hit by something like i actually i was thinking like oh like maybe his wings will pop out or maybe like like maybe he'll oh, take them right. you know he'll sense the danger and something will happen because right, right. we get or that like, we get that like, at other times or like connor get hit and like flip over the truck like it doesn't even phase him you know yeah. like have a superhero reaction what a segue <laughs> speaking of getting hit by a truck and connor yeah Speaking of getting hit by trucks, and it goes, oh, man, that we could have used that for a title. Something about getting hit by the van. That's right. Darn it. We are terrible. You know what? Wow. Shh, don't tell anyone. We'll just re-record the <laughs> opening. Um, I like our title. We're good. We're good. That's... That's that the was, connection. That's the connection. Yeah. Teenage kids that get hit by, hit by vans. Um... Anyway, on that segue, that very smooth, <laughs> I plan it all along segue. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, let's talk about Connor. It's a mashup. Uh, <laughs> a smash up. 
Oh, Connor. Um, yeah. So, speaking of surprises, <laughs> were you speaking expecting of- uh, another uh, visit from our friend Connor? Um, I wasn't expecting it this episode, and I guess seeing as we're coming down to the last few, I might not have been imminently expecting it. I think, I, I mean, I haven't been thinking about them, to be honest. So if, if asked, I think I would have thought we would get some revisit to the character and storyline and everything, the kind of unfinished business of the memories and all that. So when I, I was surprised to see him this episode, but like in, in the larger sense, it doesn't surprise me that we came back to kind of tie up that loose end. Sure. Um, you know, especially because the, the memories continue to have an ongoing impact in the story. Like this is again, the whole reason that we're here. Um, and took this job and are making these compromises and why Angel is putting up with all this crap is because of this deal um, to benefit Connor. So um, it seems like that had to be sort of confronted at some point. Um, And it makes sense to do it with Connor present. Um, So yeah, so we get him arriving uh with his his family his new parents the rileys um and they're coming to wolfram and hart for help so sorry can we can we um reflect momentarily that connor that that like we have a mashup of two of the most despised characters in the buffy verse of connor and riley Con- Connor Riley, yeah, I, I don't know that that was intentional, but no relation. Yeah, I, I mean, there are a lot of people who really dislike Riley, but I don't think he quite reaches Connor's level <laughs> of yeah. of despising. Um, I I don't dislike Riley myself personally, but there are a lot of people who definitely dislike him. But anyway, that's funny. Just just yeah, thought I'd point I, that out. <laughs> I think like. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Riley. I think his biggest, uh, I mean, I think it's part of his character. So it's not even, it's hard to even call it like a flaw, but like the the kind of, I don't know, blandness of him when compared to, which I think is the, the point, the, the kind of yeah. mundane, safe, and kind of nice boy next door quality as opposed to the danger and passion that come with Angel and Spike. Um, Whereas, but nothing he does is really that offensive. Um, That's less true of Connor. Right. Um, So, yeah, Connor's storylines were just a lot more, a lot stranger, you know, more bizarre and everything and he like by the end like they say in this was kind of a psychopath you know like it's not even totally like he has this this terrible past and was raised under these terrible circumstances so he had not the greatest role models but at the same time 
you know, by the end, he's actively making bad choices and hurting people and trying to get people killed. So, um, you know, it Riley never sunk to those depths, I don't think. Um, so, but all that's wiped away. So we get kind of, in, I mean, I guess we kind of get Connor here more like Riley in a sense, like of just the kind of normal, or he he believes himself and, you know, his family believes him to be just a normal kid. Um, I like the moment when Angel kind of is a bit impressed and maybe surprised that he's at Stanford. <laughs> it's just like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Um, so, yeah, but but I guess in a way similar to Paul, now that he's sort of in his teenage years, some of these uh, abilities are manifesting themselves. Um, so he gets hit by a van, which seems like deliberately ran him over. And then he was, and he's com completely fine. Like the, the van probably got more damaged than Connor did. Sure. And, and that's weird. And so they get this sort of tip off from a police officer who says to check out Wolferman Hart. Um, they might be able to help investigate what is going on with him. Um, and so it's, it's a little bit unclear, like, has he always had his super strength the whole time he's been in this new life? He just hasn't had an opportunity to really realize it yet? Or is it like, like with Paul, there's a manifestation coming, you know, of, now maybe that's a, maybe the question's moot since he hasn't only, he's only been with his family for less than a year. Right. So... He had implanted memories of being normal. And then now less than a year later, we've got to the point where a situation arose where it sort of forced him to use his super strength and everything. Yeah. So I just kind of explained that to myself in thinking about it. <laughs> uh, is that how you interpret it as well? Like, like we just haven't, he hasn't had any opportunity to notice that he has these abilities yet right yeah he's he leads a humdrum li like and it might just even be like yeah like you said it's only been a year you know he's in college pres presumably a freshman like you know like i mean because he wasn't in college before now <laughs> so um yeah like maybe he tried out for the sports team and like that could have like done something, but like we, there's no indication of that. Right. Like he just seems to be, yeah. Living a normal life. And then one day a truck hits him and he's okay. So that's mm -hmm. weird. You know, let's go figure out what's going on. Yeah. Right. So his parents tell him that they're setting up a trust fund and, uh, go to talk to Wesley and Angel. And Angel's first reaction is, nope, not interested. Get him out of here. Don't want to talk to him. Um, anything that threatens this situation is not worth it. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, again, I think, like, we know why. He's 
this is the whole point um, of why they're here. And I don't know, we can talk about later about Wesley's accusation. I don't know that Angel would have done it if he'd known the price, but now that a price has been paid, it's sort of like we can't undo the reason that those sacrifices happened. Um, well, and this like is... too much has gone down. And so we, at the very least, we have to at least know that bad things happen for a good reason. Especially considering we just recently had, you know, Angel choosing not to pull Illyria out, you know, and back to her yeah. coffin, right? So because of how many other people it would have hurt. Yeah. So we know that he, I mean, and not for the first time, that he's he makes those sorts of calculated decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, I, I mean, I, I'm kind of with you. Like, I don't, we'll we'll talk about the Wesley stuff, but yeah, like it's not I don't know, like like maybe there's if he had known like it would have cost Fred her life, like maybe he wouldn't have maybe he would have tried to find a different way or something. So Yeah. Yeah, and we don't we don't know what he would have done, but I yeah, I think the point kind of stands that now that it's done. <laughs> He can't do anything about it. So the least we can do is is protect the reason that it happened in the first place. Um, but um, Marcus, you know, kind of comes persuasively into his office and points out that doing nothing might be just as harmful. That, you know, you're kind of assuming that this is the senior partner's trying to screw with you, but Marcus says that it's not, and that means that somebody else is trying to screw with the situation. And, you know, if you're not going to help Connor, then he's a target. Um, so sending him away doesn't protect him from anything. Sure. Um, you know, now again, Marcus, senior partners in general, they're, you know, we have to take everything they say with a grain of salt. They're unreliable narrators, to say the least. But um, but that doesn't mean that he's wrong or that he's lying. Yeah, although, because you're right. Like, we can't necessarily always believe what they're saying at face value. But I, I do think that when it comes to, like, Marcus saying, like, this is a profitable relationship. Why would we screw that up? Like, we can see that to some degree, especially since, presumably, like, the senior partners did a better job picking Marcus than they did picking Eve, right? Mm. Like, we've already seen the duplicitous liaison. So, like, presumably, this is Marcus, like, Yes, looking out for the best interest of the firm and the senior partners, like not necessarily the workers, but like at the same time, recognizing that, you know, if the workers are happy and productive, then 
everybody's happy and productive, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I, I agree that we should definitely, I mean, and even, you know, with what happens later with between Marcus and Gunn, like, there's clearly a certain level of duplicitousness there. But I think when putting it in terms of, like, what's best for the company, I think we can pretty much consider Marcus to be on the level at least in mm-hmm. those moments mm-hmm. um that's my interpretation i you know feel free to disagree or, or whatever but mm-hmm. uh, that's just kind of how i i read him sure um yeah no and i think like the evidence of what happens in this episode certainly if we had doubts at the beginning it certainly bears them out you know at the end that we see that there is somebody else behind it and you know, that kind of does seem to indicate that he was, you know, nudging Angel in the right direction and kind of giving him some perspective of you're not doing anything to protect him, but not doing something is potentially just as dangerous. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, which is what Angel does. He goes and rescues them from the next demon assassin. Um, and then kind of gives Connor his sort of little orientation and training around Wolfram and Hart where he gets to, uh, I don't know, see Lorne and ogle Illyria and, you know, be kind of amused by Spike getting thrown around all over the place, um, which is amusing, fair enough. Um... (laughs) You break so easily. Why do you bother getting back up? <laughs> um, she wants to keep Spike as her pet. Um, and, and Wesley, too, apparently. Sure. Um, yeah, she's kind of settled in, right? Um, she's not as... She's still kind of alien and weird. And obviously they're still devastated about Fred. But she's lost the terrifying like pretty quickly in a matter of like a couple episodes she's kind of another one of the gang in a way in this episode like I don't know there's something about the way when Angel comes in and sort of says meet my colleagues um just the idea that like oh yeah there's the green skinned demon and the vampire and this ancient demonic thing that we don't even really know what she is but she's like another one of the guys in a way um another one of the sort of supernatural employees of wolf woman heart um so it's kind of funny to think like gosh two episodes ago or whatever it was she was you know the hollowed out shell of fred um so yeah. I don't have a point to it other than that, like, um, you know, she, she's gone from that to doing some sort of comic relief pretty quickly. Although we get some, I think there's some interesting stuff in her interactions with Fred here. So she's not just that for sure. Um, yeah. So kind of throughout that we get 
we're learning little bits about uh, Sivus Vale, who apparently is the one behind these attacks. Um, so, I mean, we can kind of put together all the, like, we see Angel and Wesley, like, doing their research and figuring it out. Um, but basically, he's uh, the one responsible for Connor. He says he built him, um, which basically means his memories, that he is responsible for memory reconstruction and mind control for Wolfram and Hart. So he's one of their contractors, I guess. Right. Um, and, um, and Which, you know, digging in the archives, Wesley finds the contract um, where there was, you know, he was uh, paid for a particular instance on the day they took over the firm. So he's the guy who implanted everyone's memories and yeah. built this new life. Yeah. Right. He so he says he built Connor, but everyone else too. Right. In a way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. The and given that, I mean, so he, yeah, like you said, he's a contractor. I mean, possibly also a client. Like, why didn't sure. he just go to Wolfram and Hart and like? ask Angel, like, to help him. You know what I mean? Like, why why do the, like, hit your, hit Connor with a van thing mm -hmm. rather than just, like, going to Angel and being like, look, I'm the one who, you know, restored, or, you know, created these memories, and I need your help. I mean... That's a good question. Maybe because he assumed Angel wouldn't have helped him. And I mean, that's maybe not a terrible assumption either, but like, it's just fun. It's just interesting that like, yeah, the, the, you know, he definitely takes the harder approach here. Sure. <laughs> um, well, there's something about, there's something about the, a prophecy, right? That, um, yeah, there's always a prophecy. There's always a prophecy that Connor's the only one who can kill Sajan, right? I mean, I, yeah, I kind I, of assumed that was the reason why he didn't involve Angel was um, because, yeah, maybe he felt like Angel would have got in the way or stopped him or something, and he wanted to just get it taken care of himself. So I guess in that reading, then, the whole concept of Connor and his parents going to Wolfram and Hart never maybe even occurred to Sivas. Right. That, like, he just thought he was going to, like, attack him, and Connor would, like, find his newfound strength, and then, like, he would somehow get him and Sajan in a room together, and Connor would kill him. I guess so, yeah. I mean, I, I guess you could interpret... A couple different ways like the the officer who tells them to come from from the heart like i guess that could be a you know a manipulation of Sivus that like somebody he sent to kind of tell them where to go or it could just be well but some but random I, cop who kind of knows about i'm saying the, the opposite and, i'm saying the opposite yeah. that like like Sivus didn't want them going to work on the heart that like so i'm saying that's that's how i read it is that this is just some cop who said hey you should go to Wolfram and Hart, they can help you. And that wasn't part of Sivas's plan. Um, 
I mean, that's kind of how I, kind of how I was reading it, but it never really occurred to me that, um, he might've asked for Angel's help. And, and I think Angel, for the same reasons he tries to refuse here, he probably would have said, no, I'm not getting him involved. The whole point of this thing is that he doesn't get involved. And so I think it kind of makes sense to me that he would try to just leave Angel out of it and hope he doesn't find out. Um, which of course he does. So, yeah, so he wants, he has Sajan's urn. Uh, he wants him dead. It, Connor's the only one who can do it. Do we find out why he wants Sajan dead? Do we know? Because urns can break. Sure. No, I mean, okay. just that they're... Just that, like, it's not a permanent solution. Enemy. Right, and an and urn... I mean... Yeah, I guess... So, I mean, because there's a couple things there, right? One, like, Sivas Vale doesn't seem too long for this world anyway. So is this just, like, sure. a way of, you know, him sort of, like, cleaning up loose ends before he kicks it himself? Sure. Um... Yeah, I don't. We don't get particulars about like what their animosity is. Like, why do Sajan and Sivas Vale hate each other? Because they're rival demons. Like, that's enough, right? I don't. I don't know that. Like, like we certainly don't get an explanation here, and I don't know that any explanation would one. sort of be yeah. whatever. Um, it's just enough that they're both demons and they hate each other. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, so, fair enough. Yeah, I don't I don't think we'd I mean, and like we've seen because Sajan uh you know, we've seen him sort of going back and forth in history and time and whatever, like he pisses off a bunch of people mm-hmm. as it is. So right. like right. We some know, old grudge that they have. Yeah, we yeah. know that he's sort of like this you know. Come on, Shade, lay down. Couche. Couche. Calm down for like five minutes. Um So yeah, we don't we don't you know, we see Sajan kind of going about and he seems like kind of a loner, but like because he had some like grunts working for him at one point or other, didn't he? Like guys who helped him come back in whatever form he came back in, right, at some point. So, I mean, yeah, just presumably he's, I mean, he he is kind of a smug jerk anyway. Like, I don't know. Like, I could understand just people wanting him dead. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, we, we don't get particulars about that, you know, particular reason, but. Yeah, I, don't, I just couldn't remember if we did. I don't know um, that it matters that much. Um, the prophecy thing, I'm trying to, what I was trying to remember, and I I should have tried to look up, is um, if that's ever stated in either season three or season four, where mm-hmm. where we get, you know, the various interactions with Sajan. Um, and I don't remember if if it is or not, if that's like, or if that's just like a new thing, like, oh no, there's a prophecy and it's only mm. Connor who can do it. I 
Yeah, I was thinking about that too. I don't remember one, but you've seen it more times than I have. So it could just be that I forgot. I just, there's so many little prophecies here and there. And it's hard to remember because right. there's even, there's like prophecies and then there's also like the fake prophecies. And then like, right, right. well, it's a real <laughs> prophecy, but like we, you know, what's the, you know, the one with the Mountain Dew, right? Like where right. It, it was like, it's like, is the Shanshu prophecy real or is it, you know, not real or is it mostly real? But then there's this one part that they added to it just because they were trying to manipulate mm-hmm. um, Angel to do what they wanted. So, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't remember a prophecy about Connor killing Sajan, but there it could have been mentioned at one point and I just, like, maybe that... Yeah. You know, it could have been one of those like Russell Davies things where it's like, we're just going to say this thing. And then if we're going to throw this in. Yeah. yeah, If if we need it later, it's there. Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. Um, Well, in any case, so they go to, you know, after some training where. Connor has his super strength, but not really super skill. Um, right, because like he doesn't I, I remember how to fight, right? His his memories are, are a crucial element in actually having any sort of coordination and, you know, knowledge wait, of fighting skills. Wait. So this is, like, Angel kind of gently pushes him into the arena, like, you're going to do great, kid, but, like, it's not looking good. <laughs> right, because there's, there's memory, and then there's the whole concept of, like, muscle memory. And apparently sure. he, he loses that, too. Right, right. Um, yes. So, yeah, he's stronger, but not necessarily any more skilled. Um, but he kind of insists, as, you know, teenagers will, that he, he can do it himself. Um, he's got to sure. do it himself. Uh, and gets cut off from you know, angels. So even though, yeah, Simus's motivations are kind of strange. Like even though he wants Connor to kill Sajan, he also like makes sure that he's completely sealed off from any help. So the conditions of the fight are like against him. Um, well, and so the question here too is, I mean, what if there isn't an actual prophecy? Maybe this is another fake out. Yeah, what if what if Sybis is just saying there's a prophecy and because we don't get confirmation from like Wesley sure. or anyone, right? That a prophecy sure. actually exists. Right. This could be another of Sajan's toadies helping him out. Um, well, or you know. or it could be Sybis Vale, like not caring which one of them dies. Sure. He just wants a death. Right. Um, yeah. Sure. So, yeah. So the fight is going against Connor um, up until the fateful breaking of the memory light box thing. So I want to switch over to talk about, uh, well, I mean, we can, no, we'll talk about the revelations a little bit later. So we'll switch over to Wesley and Angel. Um because in the meantime, there's this whole question of loyalty and trust going on between the two of them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and we've seen, I don't remember specifically what episode it was, but we've seen Angel sort of, because he has the memories, kind of struggle over the question of Wesley's trustworthiness and his own forgiveness of what happened. Um, and even if he wants to forgive Wesley, the kind of question of can he ever really forget and get over the truth of what happened. Um, sure. Wesley has been unaware of this because he's, he's ain't got no memories. So he right. hasn't, there might be some instinctive issue that, that there's some vibe he's picking up on, but like he has no context to wrestle with these questions. Um, so yeah. So it kind of starts with this conversation when they're watching over Illyria um, and Wesley's been kind of devoting all his time to watching her and, and kind of her tutelage and, and teaching her about earth and humanity and everything. And what an angel kind of tells him to snap out of it. Mm -hmm. um, You're not her savior. I need you here working, not drift, not drinking yourself into a coma chasing ghosts. Fred's dead. Wes, you're still alive. Start acting like it. Um, a bunch of references to the drinking. Harsh um, yeah, there is. Like, like throughout the, like, not just that one, but even later, like, Spike kind of says he can smell the scotch on him and everything. Yeah. Um, so that seems like not just an idle reference, but an actual, and we've seen him in the previous episode, too, like, even when he's, like, hanging out with Illyria, he's, like, right. got a drink with him and everything. Well, and, like, yeah, she says, like, you drank a bunch of that poison and then slept for a long time, right? Like, right, right, he's, right. he's drinking himself to pass out drunk state, right. apparently. Right, right, right. So, yeah, that's not great. Um, yeah, and so, yeah. Angel's words are harsh. Wesley kind of rallies. Like, he actually does leave Illyria to Spike to let her, her pummel Spike, and he can take notes on his clipboard about her for a while, um, and gets involved with the Riley's case, which Angel immediately tells him to drop. <laughs> so it's right, like, like right after he told him to, like, get his yeah. head in the game. Get his head in the game, but not not that one. Um, and like is short with him about it, you know, like tells it like, because he doesn't, Wesley doesn't realize why he's upset about it. You know, an angel doesn't give his explanation. He kind of yells at him to let it go. Like he said, so slight mixed messages coming from, uh, the boss. Bit, yeah. Um, and of course, what does he do with that? Well, he continues to investigate just like quietly. Um, so he does kind of take Angel's direction and get more involved again and start investigating things. He just does it sneakily, as Wesley tends to do at times. Right. Um, well, so that's one of the things that's, I think, interesting about this episode is, like, his whole investigation process is is kind of not, I almost said reminiscent, but, I mean, it recalls to some degree the stuff he went through with baby Connor. <laughs> like, yeah, like there's kind of a bit of a parallel here. Sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, being told to um to kind of forget it and you know, Angel I think asks for his trust at some point. Um or is that not till later? That's not till later. Um but like the implication is sort of to you know, do what he's told, to let Angel be the boss and and listen when he says things. Um and you know, I think I think that is a consistent reaction from Wesley is whether or not it's true, he feels that he knows better and kind of does it anyway. Um, sometimes he does know better, but you know, he's not he's not shy about kind of going outside of Angel's authority when he uh thinks he has to. Um so yeah, he starts snooping for contracts in the you know, I, I love that it's like these um, magical soul binding contracts written in blood, and they're just in like a filing cabinet down in the basement. Right. <laughs> like the the banality of that's really amusing. Um, and and he uh, talks to Illyria about. He starts to kind of realize that that they all, they've all had these memory wipes. Um, kind of finding the record of Sybis's work that he did, and then also hearing Illyria talk about the fact that Fred had memories. She can't access them, but she knows that something changed. Um, and yeah, he starts to put two and two together. Um, and his conclusion is Angel is hiding something, which he is. Um, and yeah, so he goes and like confronts him in the middle of Connor's fight with Sajan. So it's like the timing, you know, <laughs> could be better. Um, but it's interesting to me that he has Illyria behind him as backup. Like it's very clear who's, if there's a if there's a rift, yeah. it's clear whose side she's on, and like after the the circumstances of how she came to be with Fred, it's kind of fascinating that the two of them are just instant allies. Um, sure, I mean, but they've also like she's spent more time with him, sure, than anyone sure. else, and I mean, he with her since that change. So sure. there's sort of a sense there. But also, like, that moment where she says, you know, like, what, what is it, like, he no longer follows you or something like that. Uh -huh. um, how do you read that? Because, like, there's two ways to read that. It's, you know, he's independent. He's on his own. He's not following you anymore. Or he's following me, <laughs> which I feel mm. like could be the, like, like, because she obviously still sees herself as, like, an object of worship and power and glory, right? Like the way she treats Spike and, and even like with her earlier, um, you know, calling back to her earlier comments about, you know, I, such insolence, you know, would have, I would have killed you for such insolence or whatever, like, you know, um, yeah. And Wesley explaining that they're not being insolent, they're just they just don't understand what Angel's doing. Mm -hmm. 
and she's sort of confused by like oh well then why do you follow him like which is kind of, i mean even that's kind of an odd thing because like does does one need to understand their leader to follow them like i feel like it happens quite a lot that you don't necessarily understand all of what someone's thinking but maybe would do what they say if you're like uh mm -hmm. you know you know a follower of a particular group or whatever or person or cult or whatever you want to call it um so yeah anyway just all of that to say that like like it make, it makes me wonder like what does she think is going this is she like goading him in some way and thinking that like maybe he's mm -hmm. her you know a follower of her and not like his own independent person it's just now he's switched loyalties sure um i have to be honest i didn't it didn't occur to me um that she could be sort of referring to herself um, but I like that an interpretation. I like the way that it could go either way. Yeah, um, I don't think it's necessarily clear. I'm just saying, right, that like, it, 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 you could read it one way or the other. You, we can read it one way or the other, and I the characters can read it one way or the other. Like, I feel like she could say that, and Wesley think she means that she's in support of him yeah. and not realize that she's implying something else. Um, you know, so even between them, they could have a different understanding of what that sentence means. Yeah. So, um, and yeah. And uh, the keeping Spike as a pet is another example of her sure. sort of still right. seeing her, herself as above the other. Right, her ownership of, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, this is when Angel, oh, okay, so he, he, he comes, he has his, he brings the big guns, um, which is Illyria this time, not, not uh, Willow, and has the box that's keeping the memories together. Um, and yeah, the, the accusations start flying that this is, you know, this is your 30 pieces of silver, and then kind of the horrible thought that you know did you trade her for your son so that angel might have known that there would be these consequences and done it anyway um sure and i think i think we know that he didn't know but i think same with when gun made his deal you know there's still that implication that you knew there would be some consequences you might not have known specifically what they were but sure but you did sign a contract with an evil law firm. Like, you know, there, whether you knew specifically who would pay, um, yeah, you might have guessed that somebody would have to pay. And, and it's interesting because, like, there is sort of that forgiveness of gun that, that Angel gives of, like, you just signed a paper. Like, it's mm -hmm. like the other things that happen aren't your fault. And if, like, like that very same logic, like, okay, yes, maybe there's a direct chain 
going from what Angel did to this. But that doesn't mean that every independent action after that is all Angel's fault just because he made mm-hmm. this one decision. Right. And, yeah. and like, he's even further back in the chain than Gunn is, like, much right. further right. back in the chain. Right. So, yeah, there's definitely that thing of like, you know, there's an immediacy, like, you know, there's the direct action that can cause the thing, but like, how far back, like, how far back can you go before it's watered down enough to say that, like, you can't really blame someone like for, mm-hmm. you know, is it two actions back? Is it 10, hundred? Like what, you know, and how do you define all that? Like that? I, right. I feel like, yeah, it become and I mean, but this is not the first time that Wesley's sort of grief over, you know, a particular action has manifested itself in sort of blaming one particular person, even though mm-hmm. they may not be the direct cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's not the first time that he's lashed out in response to threats against Fred. Um, well, sure. Sure. You know, like it, yeah, I think we have other examples of him making um, you know, doing things rashly in response to that. Um, yeah, so Angel asks him to trust him. He says, no, I do not. <laughs> uh, and then he smashes the light and everybody gets their memories back. Um, well, 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 so we'll talk about Connor in a minute. Um, I, I well, I wasn't even going to go there. It's, it's there there's a there's a proximity effect sure so i just want to be clear about that cuz like there's not a we don't get the sense that like lorn and gun mm. or even anyone else outside of that room like like cuz presumably lots of other people's memories have been changed right like if you're thinking about all of the Jasmine stuff and how Connor was kind of involved in that like right that's true like like Connor's parents still have the whole memory that's right I hadn't really thought about it but you're right that it's only the people who are sort of immediately there are affected right um that's important so so yeah yeah right um, but Wesley is right there. <laughs> He's, you know, right there to get blasted off his feet. And, um, oh, like the crushing realization, not that Angel's perfect, not that Angel hasn't made his mistakes, but for, for Wesley to kind of confront somebody who he thinks is acting in an untrustworthy way and confronting deception and betrayal and then to kind of get this downloaded information that actually um, it was the other way around, you know? Yeah. And I think Wesley had his reasons and we, you can defend some of his decisions. And I think we've done that, but there's, I think in the feeling I get from the look on his face is not like, 
any sort of vindication of, oh, now I understand why I did what I did and what happened. It's this kind of devastated, holy crap, actually, it was me that betrayed the trust in the first place. Right. Right. And, you know, to go from being kind of self-righteous about it to, like, being slapped in the face with all of his own mistakes. Do you think this is going to help his drinking problem? He's <laughs> gonna need a couple bottles of something when he gets home. Yeah. yeah, this is not this is not great for Leslie's state of mind. Um, and it, so yeah, self loathing is not a good uh, remedy for um, depression and despair. Yeah, and and the realization too that like after Connor. Probably Wesley is the most to benefit from all of the memory stuff because yeah. he betrayed it. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I, I had my throat slit and my friends betrayed me <laughs> like that's not a memory you want or my friends all left me, not not betrayed me. Right. Like mm -hmm. I, I had my throat slit and my friends abandoned me. Mm -hmm. Not a very happy memory to like want to have back. Um, yeah. you know, besides the actual like acts of betrayal and how wrong he was, and like all of the other stuff that kind of went on, um, right, there was stuff done to him as well, right, um, sure, for sure, and and yeah, the the feelings of anger and loneliness that come with that, yeah, um, are not things you and are going to enjoy remembering. And that's kind of what he says to his little speech to O'Leary at the end is, is sort of picking and choosing your memories and rewriting your memories in order to live with the truth. And that, you know, it's made literal in this, this sort of memory reconstruction, but it's, he kind of suggests that it's something that people do all the time. You kind of yeah rewrite things in your head to justify your own actions and help you sleep at night. Well, and I, I like the the conversation, the sort of running conversation between Illyria and, and Wesley around memory and stuff, because I feel like this is something we've been talking about for the last, oh, five plus years, yeah. um, you know, not just in Buffy and, and, you know, Angel, but in Doctor Who and, and all mm -hmm. of these different things that like, you know, I do think Wesley's right in that like we are more than just our memories but our memories make up so much of who we are that when they're changed or forgotten or you know whatever that there's a fundamental part of us that changes i think too and mm -hmm. i mean and you know i think that manifests in you know certain diseases and conditions that people get and sort of the fear of like having dementia you know like whatever mm -hmm. like that that loss of personhood because of you know a big part of who that person is is memory um mm -hmm. so i you know it's interesting to kind of hear like these characters like kind of talking like mm -hmm. about this in kind of the same ways that we've discussed yeah. even um yeah yeah um yeah and and I like the exchange about, does this now make you Wesley? And he says, at least now I know what happened. 
And she said, do you? And it's like, his one comfort is, well, it's painful, but I have the truth now and, and I understand things. And just this question of, do you still really understand what happened even after sure. remembering all this? You still really only have your own point of view. And, um, and, and even knowing what happened isn't understanding what happened. Exactly. Like you might know the, the, the facts of what happened or the, the timeline, but does that, is that really the same as understanding what happened to kind of break up this relationship, this trust between him and Angel? Um, you know, kind of, you can make a list of, well, you did this and I did this and that's how I reacted and this were my reasons, but I don't know that that's exactly the same as, you know, you can clear the air and kind of get over conflict, but sometimes you still look back at those conflicts and go, you know, I still don't really understand what happened there. And I feel like that's, that kind of takes away even his one, his one kind of shining light is at least I have truth, but yeah, kind of. It doesn't really help you to understand the other person. Um, so, yeah. Now, that's not going to be good for Wesley's state of mind. Um, um, as, for, as for Connor, or did you have more? Yeah, no, Wesley? no. Go ahead. Go to Connor. As for Connor, um, my interpretation... Which I think is pretty clear, so maybe we can agree on it. You can tell me is that he he gets it all back, um, you know, with his memory comes his fighting skill. He wins easily. He beheads Sajan. Um, he then kind of flips the switch into kind of corny, average, mundane kid you know uh, when all hardcore this guy made me really cranky and like I'd like to go see my parents now um but the whole thing is he's looking at Angel kind of funny and he's clearly disturbed by something and being very careful about his words and everything um so I was you know watching it getting suspicious like oh does he remember stuff is he just kind of faking um and I think he kind of confirms it by the end that uh, you know, he pointedly tells Angel that you have to do what you can to protect your family. I learned that from my father and then goes off to live his life with his new family. Um, so, which kind of echoes Wesley's whole speech about choosing even what to remember and choosing which narrative to live by. Like, as Wesley talks about, you know, kind of, naturally rewriting your memories to live with the truth that seems to be what connor's doing he's kind of chosen that i think this is the you know even if i have to live with this knowledge this is a better way to live and this is the better life and he chooses to go with it and pretend like he doesn't know what he knows um so yeah do you have any other ways of 
interpreting this or is that kind of how you read it? No. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, it's the last line, right? The, the, you know, looking at my family, cause that's what my father taught me. Like mm-hmm. seems very pointed <laughs> at angel. Mm-hmm. Like he seems to remember yeah. who he, who his father is. So, I mean, I think it's fairly clear, but I suppose there's enough room that people who wanted to argue otherwise could maybe make a cogent argument, but I'm I'm pretty much on the same page there. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's only a few episodes left. I'm assuming we're not going to see Connor again, although I suppose anything could happen. Um, I mean... Because it seems like he kind of is pointedly choosing to put this li- this old life behind him. Um, right. So, um, in our last few minutes, I guess let's talk about Gunn and Marcus. There's not a ton, but, um, you know, I think what we get is important. Um, I did like that, um, as I predicted, Angel said in, like, the first 20 seconds of the episode, we're going to rescue Gunn. So I was happy about that. <laughs> um, and But they still haven't yet. But they still haven't. Not this, not this week. Um, which Marcus points out to Gunn. Um, so is this, like, part of his torture? You know, so he has the kind of medieval torture demon uh, physically torturing him, but then he also has Marcus who pays visits and kind of says snide things about how um, there's no there's no activity on the rescue gun front. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure. We don't know again enough about Marcus and the senior partners to know what his full motivation is. There, he makes a proposal, um, or he wants to make a proposal and and gun kind of cuts him off um doesn't even really want to hear what the proposal is um and just says can i have my necklace back goes back to his forgetting and uh endures the torture which i just realized connects to the whole theme of choosing to forget things and the kind of erasing of memories um you know he chooses the the ignorance of the necklace and his continued torture rather than, you know, hearing Marcus out on his proposal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's still there. So we'll see. Angel says they're going to rescue him. So we'll see if and when that happens. Mm-hmm. It's not much time left in the series. If, if Angel says it, it must be true. Yeah. Um. Cool. Was, was there anything else that we missed? No, I think uh, I think that's a good good wrap. So we'll be back. We're we're gonna start the downslope of the fades, I guess. And uh, I mm-hmm. mean, we're already nearing the bottom of the slope for angels. So yeah. Uh, 
Sounds good. See you then. Thank you.